0: Listening to Kwell. This is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. I'm news director Kyle Mackey. Coming up on today's show, longtime local DJ Cut LaWett chats about the state of the local party scene and how his passions for both music and golf go hand in hand.
1: I always have my golf clubs with me and so traveling as a DJ you're always out like what can I do let's go play some golf.
0: Plus KJL Spanish language correspondent Alicia Unger reports on the history of tamales.
2: People don't give them the respect that they should because it's something that they see every day.
0: But first, Skiing and snowboarding might be the reigning favorites when it comes to winter sports in the Tetons. But for many local residents, it's hockey that's captured their hearts. K2L contributor Natalie Shachar has a story about how rec leagues on both sides of the pass are building community on and off the ice.
3: The temperature is hovering around zero as hockey games are just starting to heat up on a Wednesday night in Victor. The yellow solar flares and the purple spastics are evenly matched at the Kotler Ice Arena. The flares get up 3-1 before the spastics come back. Later, the score gets tied at 5-5. But with 46 seconds left on the clock, the spastics knock in the puck to take the win. It was very intense. In a bunch, there was new people that were scoring tonight. Um, some people, I think, got their first goal of the season, which was sweet. Lisa Brown works as a dump truck driver for an excavation company by day and is the Flair's team captain at night. It's a position she took on because she feels like she can give good advice and help her teammates become better players.
4: I tell them to skate the puck. I encourage people to skate the puck because a lot of women are tentative doing that. And then just some like position advice.
3: Brown's team is part of the All-Women's Hockey League that goes down every Wednesday night in Victor. The league's four teams go head-to-head every week, playing until as late as 10.30 p.m., and about two dozen women make the trek over from Jackson to play. But there are plenty of games taking place on the eastern side of the pass, too.
5: We try to get as many hours in as possible before it's unskateable. But nights like this, ice is plenty hard right now.
3: Caleb Rainey has been playing hockey since he was about four. And he comes to the Wilson Rink on Wednesdays with about two dozen other players to play pickup hockey from about 6.30 until the floodlights shut off at 9. He also plays throughout the week.
5: It's just the infrastructure and the community. So every afternoon that you come out, um, there's always a competitive game going, a lot of skilled players that show up. It's always a fun, inviting, and inclusive atmosphere.
3: Both Brown and Rainey love the sport, but for them and many other players, it's the vibe on the rinks of Idaho that draws the men. Rainey says it feels like throwing it back to the old days without outdoor refrigeration on a rink that's simply down home and rooted.
5: It is very special just because it's wooden boards, you know, it's one of those unique areas where you just throw it up, you flood a field, um, but the ice quality, the ice time, and the game speed, and it's great. It's uncomparable to anything else.
3: In Wilson, the rules are simple and unwritten five aside, sub in, wait your turn unless you really feel like you have to go score. And no hitting, checking, slashing, or tripping. Mostly, players say, you look out for each other and then you have a beer.
1: <laughs> She's the asshole. No. You, that goal was sick,
3: dude. Back in Victor, Nene Strawbridge's teammates are congratulating her for scoring one of their two goals in the Bloody Mary match. Strawbridge has been playing hockey since she was a kid and says she's proud to now have her own adult son watching her skate. It is fun, empathetic, camaraderie from everyone. Strawbridge says she's astounded by the number of women who play in the women's league, well more than 50 in total. And she and her teammate, Jessica David Lynch, agree that the games are the best part of their weeks. Davidson Lynch is a teacher in Jackson. The best
0: thing about hockey is just it's a stress reliever. And you can come and have a good time and kind of forget about everything else that's going on in your life. And that's the most important thing to me. And you just have so much fun.
3: This year, the Women's League welcomed more than a dozen new players, some of whom have recently scored their first goals on the ice. But what Davidson Lynch most appreciates, she says, is the way the Hockey League is bringing people together.
0: I think that it's special because there's so many women who um, find strength, I think, in one another and everyone has their own battles, and I think we're all fighting those and and helping each other through that.
3: Plus, you get some expectations-free exercise in the process. If you're thinking hockey is something you'd like to try, the players say, come and give it a go. All you need are skates and a stick. For KHOL News, I'm Natalie Schacher.
0: Coming up next, KHOL Music and Community Affairs Director Jack Catlin interviews longtime Jackson DJ Cutlawette about how he's seen the local party scene change and his dual passion for golf. This conversation was recorded live in the KHOL studios in late January.
4: Ryan Cutter James, aka Cutla what is a master turntablist, blending house music, breakbeats, and hip hop into DJ sets that have been rocking parties in the Teton area and beyond for years. Based in Victor, Idaho, James performs all over the Teton Valley at venues like the Naughty Pine Supper Club, Wildlife Brewing, and the West Side Yard. He can also be found on this side of the pass, mixing it up at events for Jackson Hole Moose Hockey Games, Melvin Brewing, and summer concerts like JH Live. DJ Cutlawat joins us now in the K12 studios. What's up, man?
1: What's up, Jack? How are you?
4: I'm great. Good to
1: have you here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Of course.
4: So you've performed countless sets over the years at tons of different parties here in the Tetons. Looking back, which event or events stand out the most to you?
1: We had a lot of amazing times here in the Tetons. And going back, you know, I started DJing professionally right around 2000. And at that time... There was a lot of stuff happening at the Moose. Dom Gagliardi, him and I started a company called Front Street Productions, and he was booking the Mangy Moose. And we had a good run of events that happened there for probably four or five years. And then we did a series from 2006 to about 2010 at the Q Roadhouse. Mm-hmm. We were doing monthlies in the winter, and those are all-time parties. Anybody lived here in that era, you're like, did you go to the Q parties, and they were like, it was wild.
4: So what's your perspective on how the local party scene has grown and shifted to where it's at now?
1: I think now it's in, it's in a tough situation in kind of having a home. You need the venue and the management to be behind that scene. And I look at like the Cowboy or the Wart and the way they support bluegrass and country. And they you really need a place that supports electronic music and hip hop in the same fashion. Because to me, that's a, a sound of today. It is pop culture. So not
4: only are you a great DJ, but you're also a big time golfer. In fact, you're the head golf professional at the Teton Reserve Golf Course in Victor. How do those two worlds collide? Your love for music and your passion for golf? Do they inform each other or are they kind of completely separate?
1: Yeah, golf. I've always played golf. I actually played golf and kind of pursued that career in my early twenties and lived in Florida. That's how I actually, that's another big influence. I lived in Florida and that introduced me to breakbeats. So I was kind of buying records and stuff down when I was golfing, but, um, I decided at that time in my life, I wanted to come back to Jackson and, and pursue snowboarding and skateboarding and et cetera, because of what you can do at that point in your life physically, you know, I was like golf, I'll be back. It led me into being a DJ for 20 years. And then, in all honesty, you know, with COVID, uh, that kind of just crushed the entertainment world. And so from there, it's kind of like, okay, well now what? And I stepped back into golf and I retested for the PGA and, you know, passed my playing test. And I'm actually currently in a PGA school program. And so the two, you know, I always have my golf clubs with me. And so traveling as a DJ, you're always out like, what can I do? Let's go play some golf. And same thing. Like a lot of us in the music world have some extra free time. And so whether it's golf or skateboarding or whatever, those two seem to to coincide with me wherever I travel. But uh, even with DJing too, I think that, that all those three things I just mentioned are all like very precision-based activities. And like mm-hmm. something that I really enjoy about them is like putting in the effort to, you know, whether it's, you know, turntablism on vinyl or skateboarding. It's not, you don't kind of land a trick or golf you don't yeah it takes hours of practice and yeah repetition totally we got a good thing going on at the reserve and and this is we got an indoor simulator over there this year so it's the first time i've had year-round golf in a while so it's been fun
4: so finally your relationship with the radio station here at k12 goes way back (laughs) as you spent a lot of time on air doing shows events etc back in the day can you touch on those early days of KHOL for yeah. those that may not know and why independent local radio is so important?
1: Yeah, for sure. I, um, it was a, a guy named Walker White and Jim Talashe uh, started the radio station. And I was introduced to those guys uh, just through some music friends. We were doing events too at that time, like Front Street Productions, and we owned the Jacksonville Hole Playhouse. Uh, and so one year we did a series. So I was like, hey, let me help you out. And we did a series of fundraisers and we put on, you know, three or four events. And I brought DJs from L.A., Canada and took all the money that we made and donated it to the radio. And at that time I was doing probably two shows a week and maybe multiple days during the week and help them just do programming and at that time we're like recording cds and getting the whole database up and running and so it was fun man and it was really cool to be a part of and it's really cool to see where it's all come you know and to see you're hearing things from here on npr and the diversity of the different radio shows is amazing And is even then, back then, too. It's because like, it brings together music lovers. And and I think that that's a really uh, unique thing with having it being a volunteer run radio.
4: All right. This coverage is funded in part with an Arts for All grant provided by the town of Jackson and Teton County. For more music, news, and culture, make sure to check out our website, 891khol.org. I'm Jack Catlin, and this is K H O L Jackson.
0: You're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL. I'm news director Kyle Mackey, and this is our weekly podcast featuring reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every Friday on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you've ever eaten a tamale a Mexican delicacy made with corn dough, normally wrapped in a corn husk, you've had a taste of a pre-Hispanic dish that's sometimes upstaged in Mexican cuisine. Next, KHOL Spanish-language correspondent Alicia Unger reports on the history of tamales and their special connection to Tlaxcala, Mexico, where the majority of Jackson's Latino community trace their roots. First, I'll chat with Unger about her reporting in English, and then we'll hear her full story in Spanish. Alicia, thank you so much for reporting this story. No, thank you for taking
2: interest in this um, special dish that is well-known worldwide.
0: Well, we've been excited about this one for a while because your reporting for this story started when you were in Tlaxcala last fall, I believe. Correct. And uh, it starts with a tamale street vendor. I wonder if you can set the scene for us and describe, you know, what you saw.
2: Well, I went to Tlaxcala to get to know the people and to get to know the place where the people that lives here in Jackson is from. And uh, it was a rainy day. For several days it was raining. And it called my attention that there was in a corner, this lady with a stand, little umbrella, little table, uh, selling tamales. And it was no one there. And it calls my attention. Why, in a day like this, someone will, you know, try to make business? And her explanation is: if I don't sell,
0: my kids don't eat. And it struck me. That's yeah. That's really difficult to hear, and a, a sad image too. I know we have a photo of the spender on a pretty empty street on a very rainy day. Not a lot of people outside. But I know you spoke to her about her business and when some of her busier days are. Uh, What did you learn from her about that?
2: Well, I learned that the weekends and holidays, especially uh, Christmas time, starting in November from the day of the day to the February 2nd, when uh, is the day of the candelaria. And that's when the special day for the tamales is. So she told me how she prepared the tamales and delivery home to home sometimes.
0: Wow. Okay. so a special day of tamales. Yes. And I know that this reporting uh, sent you on a path to learn about the history of tamales, of this dish. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've learned?
2: Well, I learned that tamales has a very relationship with Tlaxcala. I was able to interview this uh, lady who is uh, an international promoter of the gas- Mexican gastronomy. Her name is Mercedes Aumada, and she explained me that Tlaxcala means tamales. Tlaxcala means a Nahuatl the place from the corn bread, which is the tamal.
0: Oh wow! Really? <laughs> so that's where, like,
2: oh my God! So what a perfect story where I found this lady surviving selling tamales in Tlaxcala. So then I wanted to know more about it. And the story of tamales is just fantastic.
0: Yeah, so it has this fantastic story, but I also understand that you learned there's been kind of some discrimination against tamales over the years.
2: Yes, what our mother has told me is that since it's so popular and when the Spanish colony comes, brings new products, people relate that the new products could be better. And since tamales are created before tortillas, it's too many, too easy to find them everywhere. And so people don't give them the respect that they should because it's something that they see every day. And many people don't know the history of it. But the history, like I say, is, uh, is uh, from the pre-Hispanic times, before the colonization, before the tortillas, and they're known worldwide. And the tamales are more than cultural. They have a special relation, like spiritual, because they are in all the altars. And every religious celebration, are tamales there.
0: Wow, like offerings. Yes, okay. exactly. Well, thank you for your reporting. This is uh, really interesting to hear about. And we're excited to bring the listener now to your full story in Spanish.
2: Thank you. Enjoy it. KHOL Noticias en Español. Los saluda Alicia Anger. María González prepara y vende tamales en Tlaxcala, aún bajo la lluvia.
6: Pues le hago la lucha porque si no, ¿a qué horas
2: vendo? González asegura que siendo madre soltera, tiene que salir a buscar el pan de cada día, llueva, truene o relampague. Tengo hijos que mantener y pues tengo que darles de comer, no importa si llueve o no llueve. Pero que son gracias a los días festivos que según González, su changarrito aún continúa a flote. Pues Navidad, Año Nuevo, día de reyes. Agregando el 2 de febrero, día de la candelaria, cuando se festeja con tamales como plato principal la presentación del niño Dios al templo, 40 días después de que la Virgen María diera a luz. Me me piden, me ordenan y yo les llevo hasta su casa. Pero los tamales van mucho más allá de ser un simple antojito que se vende en las esquinas.
6: Para nosotros el tamal tiene un significado no solamente gastronómico, sino cultural, ritual y familiar.
2: Mercedes Ahumada es mexiquense profesional en química con pasión por la comida mexicana, combinación que parece haber sido la fórmula perfecta que la ha llevado a ser promotora independiente en París de la gastronomía mexicana a nivel mundial.
6: Sabemos que los tamales tienen su origen hace miles de años, mucho antes de la llegada del, de los españoles, en la época mesoamericana, mientras se desarrollaba la agricultura en México y, y que se domesticó el maíz.
2: Proceso al que indica la química de profesión es llamado nixtamalización.
6: Los nativos de ese entonces preparaban los tamales antes de las tortillas.
2: Tamales que Ahumada explica se refleja en el nombre del hoy estado de Tlaxcala.
6: Su nombre quiere decir Tlaxcalan.
2: El náhuatl significa lugar del pan de maíz. Ya
6: iniciando por ese nombre, nos damos cuenta de lo rica que es esta cultura. ¿Por qué? Pues porque vamos a tener una gran cantidad de maíces que van a dar la pauta para el desarrollo de esta cocina tan rica. De dulce, de
2: carne, de chile verde. La importancia y variedad del maíz, explica la promotora en gastronomía mexicana, es ilimitada.
6: Es maravilloso ver la cantidad de tamales o de recetas de tamales, que no existe ni siquiera un registro de la cantidad de tamales que existen y que tienen sus inicios desde hace miles de años.
2: Logrando atravesar las barreras de la sociedad y del tiempo.
6: Esta historia tan grande que tienen los tamales y que además siguen siendo un plato o un elemento ritual dentro de la gastronomía, no solo tlaxcalteca, sino mexicana en, en general.
2: Entonces, Mercedes, ¿por qué crees que el tamal, siendo tan rico culturalmente, gastronómicamente y con tanta historia, sea discriminado por muchos mexicanos?
6: Es un fenómeno que finalmente es social, ¿no? Pienso que finalmente la discriminación de los tamales es efectivamente porque llegan otras cocinas y al tener un elemento tan importante como los tamales, pues se vuelve cotidiano, ¿no? Y todo lo cotidiano se vuelve muchas veces aburrido
2: marginación que enfatiza Humada, no debería existir en México, ya que su laborioso proceso por lo regular une a las familias
6: es tan rico culturalmente que tú lo acabas de decir, nos unen la mesa. No debería de haber, por supuesto, ningún tipo de discriminación, ¿Por porque junta todos estos elementos importantes, ingredientes nobles, historia, tradición, pero además unión familiar. ¿no? Entonces, precisamente por eso es este, este elemento que contradictoriamente es discriminado, pero sigue siendo pilar importante dentro de las festividades mexicanas, ¿no? Y eso es sumamente importante. No debería de ser discriminado, muy por el contrario. Debe ser un elemento eh, reivindicado y amado.
2: Amados y solicitados, como asegura esta promotora de la gastronomía mexicana, son los tamales en el exterior.
6: Algo bien, bien chistoso que sucede en el extranjero es que todos los extranjeros quieren tamales. ¿no? En Estados Unidos hay muchos tamales. En Europa, muchos europeos conocen a México por sus tamales y es lo que más añoran. Qué extraño, ¿no? Podría, podría ser los tacos. Pero no, no son los tacos, son los tamales, porque el extranjero es un, un, un elemento muy importante y es un elemento muy apreciado. ¿no? Acá un tamal vale oro y lo digo en todos los
2: sentidos. Mientras los tamales continúan dando la vuelta al mundo haciendo historia y poniendo el nombre de la gastronomía tlaxcalteca en alto, para González, estos manjares del maíz más que negocio, dice, son una bendición. Si le pudiera pedir algo a Dios, ¿qué le pediría, señora? Pues que me bendijera vendiendo más
3: tamales, que me
2: ponga muchos clientes. Alicia Anger, Acheoele, noticias en Espanol.
0: Now for the weekly news roundup. Here are the headlines you might have missed this past week.
5: State lawmakers filed a bill last week that would ban transgender women and girls in Wyoming from participating in public high school or college sports on teams that align with their gender identity. Jana Farley is communications director for the American Civil Liberties Union of Wyoming. She says if the bill were passed, it would be unconstitutional. Similar proposals have been tried and have failed elsewhere in the country.
2: A federal judge blocked Idaho's law that was targeting transgender student athletes, recognizing that it's not just the constitutional rights of transgender girls and women athletes at issue, but the constitutional rights of every
4: girl and woman athlete in Idaho.
5: Additionally, many Wyoming schools already have a rarely used transgender athlete policy in place featuring decision makers on a local level and an appeals process should disagreements come up.
1: The
0: Teton County Health Department has announced that some immunocompromised community members are now eligible for a booster dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. Public Health Response Coordinator for the department, Rachel Wheeler, says this group became eligible for a third dose back in August, but that was considered part of their primary vaccine series. This is a group that, depending on their medical condition or the um medications they're on, may not have the same immune response from a vaccine as the average adult. And so, you know, these are the people we wanted to really make sure that they were aware that they can get their booster because we want to make sure they're protected. The fourth shots are only authorized for individuals age 16 and up, considered moderately or severely immunocompromised. That could mean folks actively undergoing some cancer treatments or who have received an organ or stem cell transplant. As for average adults, Wheeler says the department doesn't expect another dose to be authorized anytime soon, unless a different vaccine formula is approved for a specific variant of concern.
5: Residents across Wyoming continue to mourn former state Senator Leland Christensen, who passed away last week due to complications from COVID-19 while also battling cancer. Locally, Christensen served as a Teton County commissioner and sheriff. KHWAL's Kyle Mackey has more.
0: Chair of the Teton County Republican Party, Mary Martin, says Christensen of Alta was a good listener who cared deeply about others and his home county, even after taking state positions under Governor Mark Gordon and then-Senator Cynthia Lummis starting in 2019.
6: He just called me out of the blue, oh, maybe six months ago, and he goes, I just was kind of thinking I should just call and see what's up and if there's something I might might be able to do to help you. And that's just kind of the person that Leland was.
0: Martin also says he was part of the leadership that paved the way for Heritage Arena, the home of Rodeo in Jackson. But most of all, Christensen was known as a dedicated father and husband.
6: I spoke with his son yesterday, and he will leave a legacy of um, service and kindness and goodness as far as the kind of community that I believe we all want to live in. Leland's family are the kind of community members that every community would
0: want. A funeral service for Christensen is scheduled for Saturday, February 26th in Driggs, Idaho.
5: Wyoming's own Jalen Koff took home the silver medal Sunday for her freestyle mogul run at the Winter Olympics in Beijing. The Alta native flashed her new hardware in an interview with NBC Sports Monday, where she relived her lightning-quick performance over a second faster than anyone else in the competition.
4: You know, I've, I've learned that it's not guaranteed, every run isn't guaranteed, every round at this event was not guaranteed, and so for me, I just wanted to go out and put it all out there every single run, um, and that's exactly what I did.
5: To get to her first career podium, Koff overcame disappointment in 2018 in Pyeongchang and multiple injury recoveries. Both of her parents were also accomplished mogul skiers, and her family and friends gathered at the Tetonia Club in Idaho to watch the run and make an appearance on national TV. Koff is the first female American mogul skier to win an Olympic medal since 2014.
0: That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is by the local band, Strong You can help us spread the word about Jackson Unpacked by leaving a rating and review for the show in Apple Podcasts, or just by sharing it with a friend. I'm Kyle Mackey, and this is KHOL Jackson.